morning, church. That was pretty healthy. I like it. You're doing well so far. Now, be honest, how many of you are nervous? No, but I got one. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. Uh, you will need your Bible this morning, and if you didn't bring one, we do have these black hardbacks on this back table, and I do invite you to, to get one if you don't have one, and um, we are going to be digging into the Word of God this morning, and uh, I would invite you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5, so please go ahead and find that, and in that pew Bible, that uh, hardback, it's on page 952 of that Bible. Look with me there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting there in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. One of my favorite sounds, whenever I'm preaching, is not when people snore, but whenever people turn in their Bible to the passage in which I call out. So, uh, thank you for turning in your Bibles to that passage and reading along with me. Now, I know everybody in the room is probably not using an actual paper Bible, maybe a digital Bible. Uh, if you're using a digital Bible on your phone, your device, do me this favor. The next time you select that passage that we're turning to, make the, the swishing sound of pages. As you, as you push the button, it's just really helpful for me. Uh, it gives me confidence that you are actually following along and not just adding things on Twitter. So it's, it's really helpful to me to do that. Uh, and it, even if you are putting things on Twitter, just make that sound anyways, okay? It's not good to lie, um, especially in church or to your pastor, so just know um, you might be going to hell. Um, <clears throat> hopefully by the end of the sermon you won't be going there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2 we, uh, we've looked at that, and we, we've read that together, and why I wanted you to look at that with me, and as, as you'll see kind of how I preach, we start with the text, we work through the text, um, and we, we try to stay as close as we can to that, because it's not my opinions or my words in which you should have came here to hear this morning. You shouldn't have come here this morning with an expectation, well, I'm, I'm here to listen to this new pastor. How good is he? Is he funny? Here's one thing about comedy. It's all about timing. It's about timing. That's what it is. Is he going to entertain me? Is he going to engage me? If that was your expectation for coming here, I chastise you this morning. That was wrong. You should have came here with one purpose. The Word of God. That's why you should have came. Not to hear what I have to say, but what does God's Word say? So why is it so important to take your Bible, to open it up, to find that passage and read through it with me, because it's his words that matter, not mine. And church, that's what you should have as an expectation each and every week as you step into this place, as you go to the Sunday school classes you go to, 
You should have an expectation of hearing the word of God taught and preached. That should be our expectation. And I think this is what Paul's communicating in this passage for us this morning. He has this expectation for the church at Corinth to think that way. To think that we want to hear from God. We don't want to hear just opinions about God or things about God. We want to hear from Him. And I think Paul's communicating this to us. He's all about God's wisdom and he really doesn't care about man's wisdom. And this is kind of the, the title of the message, which is man's wisdom or God's wisdom. Which are we relying on? Which are we looking to? And I think Paul clearly shows us here that his strategy for ministry, which I believe our strategy for ministry, my strategy for ministry, should look like this. That as we begin this journey together What are we to be about? What should we be focused on? We should be focused on the wisdom of God and not just focusing on people's opinions or man's opinions, the pastor's opinions, the elder's opinions, but what does God's word teach us and show us? I think this is what Paul is trying to get across to us this morning. The the heart of our faith is in the wisdom of God and not into anybody else's. It's into his wisdom And so let's walk through this passage this morning. Let's start back in verse 1 there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. There's a phrase that's used in here, the testimony of God. This is a phrase that's used all throughout the Bible. You'll see it in the Old Testament and through the New Testament And what Paul is referring to here is the witness that God has given humanity. What he has revealed to us. And Paul is using it more in the sense of really the word of God that he knows. And also the revealed word in the flesh, Jesus Christ. This is the one. This is the testimony of God that Paul is wanting the people to hold on to and cling to. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament into the New. And Paul is treating the Word of God with the highest of respect, with the the, uh, most intense of study. And this is what he wants the people of Corinth to see as well. That this testimony of God, as he came and proclaimed this to them, he didn't come and proclaim it to them um, with a large vocabulary. He didn't come with lofty words. Or maybe your translation, if you have a different translation, uh, it might use the words eloquence or excellence or superiority. Uh, Paul didn't come preaching and teaching this kind of, uh, of what the Bible teaches in any kind of loftiness, but right in an accuracy of what does it say. Paul's preaching of the word was not filled with these fancy words, you know, $10 words, or depending on where you live, $100 words, whatever. And, and how people talk and maybe use a certain vocabulary to manipulate you in a way to believe a certain thing. Paul didn't do that. He simply preached what he knew, and that was the Word of God, and that's the only thing he preached. And it was a salvation, and salvation found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. The authority in which Paul preached, it was preached not with his own giving of authority, but of what God has given him in his authority His authority stopped at where the word of God stopped. He didn't go beyond it. He didn't stop short of it. That's where his preaching landed. Paul's preaching and teaching, it was based upon what he understood the word to say. What he'd known from his encounter with Christ as well. Nothing more, nothing less. 
and this should be our expectation as well as we study and read the Bible and preach and teach the Bible, not stopping short and not going past, but staying right where God has shown us to be. All of what Paul taught was always weighed against what did God's wisdom say, what did God's word say, and not just taking his own opinion or maybe what the church's opinions were, but what does God's wisdom say? Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Notice here in verse 2, he says, For I decided. This is a conscious decision which he's made, right? It was conscious for him to preach and teach this way. This is not some accident that he had. Like, you know, this kind of caught on. I think I'm going to just keep going in this vein of thought. This is not how Paul thought. Whenever he decided to preach, it was decided purposely. It was intentional. And this is how, again, your pastor, myself, I hope to preach with intention and purpose. Deciding to stay close to the word of God. Now, what did Paul preach? Well, he says right here in this verse. He says, nothing among you, what? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul preached that there was only one way to God. There's not many ways. There's only one way, and it's through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the perfect Son of God. And that this perfect Son of God, he was nailed to a cross, that he would be a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for all those who, who would believe and trust in this Son, and that the wrath of God would be absorbed in Him, and that the justice of a holy God would be satisfied in that Son. This is what Paul preached. This is what he's saying to the Corinthian people, reminding them what he had already taught them. I came to preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He preached the death of Christ. He preached that sinners must be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, and that is the only way. That dead people, spiritually dead people, could come to life by the blood of the Lamb, but only by the blood of the Lamb. He preached, really, the most foolish thing that humanity has ever heard. Paul even says this, go back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 18 Paul says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says that the cross is a foolish thing to the world, that humanity hears the message of the cross and scoffs at it, laughs at it as this, it must be some foolish thing that these people are believing uh, what do you mean that the God of the universe would come down to this earth in the flesh and live among us, have this perfect life, then go to the cross as an innocent man but to die for the guilty? Why would he do that? They look at the cross as foolishness. They see that salvation by way of the cross is the silliest thing that you could ever believe in. And maybe you have thought that at one point in your life. Maybe you still think that. Maybe you still think, ah, oh, this Christianity stuff, that's silly. Why do these people believe this? Some people think that there's a better way, or a different way, or all ways lead to God. And all of that thinking is wrong. All of it is absolutely wrong. 
Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, help me, no one comes to the Father but through me. How does anybody get to God? It is not through many roads, but only one. One road that leads to God. Jesus makes this declaration himself that he is the only way. That is the most ridiculous statement ever made if it wasn't true. The most ridiculous thing that could ever be said by a human being if it wasn't true. What Jesus is meaning in this statement is that all of the world's ideas, philosophies, and religions all are wrong. They're all wrong, except for this one. This is what Paul preached. All of humanity's attempts to get right with God, all of them have failed. And Paul is saying this in his preaching, in his teaching, it is only Christ and Him crucified. Now, why does Paul say this in chapter 1, that the cross is foolishness? Because what does the cross do? What does the cross do? It removes... It removes the possibility of people using their wisdom to get right with God. That's what the cross does. And what, what happens with that? Whenever our wisdom is removed in doing that, our pride is removed as well. There's nothing for us to be prideful about. And this is what Paul is, is getting at later on in chapter 1. Look at verses 26 through 29. Paul says, for consider your calling, brothers. He's talking to the church. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What does the cross do? The cross of Christ eliminates any kind of human claim that they had anything to do with their salvation. It removes any of that. It removes all of our wisdom, all of our pride, and leaves us completely humbled at the foot of the cross, looking up and understanding, I have nothing to offer him. I've done nothing. I deserve hell, but he has given me grace. This removes the possibility of us taking credit for anything and getting to heaven and pounding our chest saying, look how good I have been. This will not be the case. God is the only one that gets the glory. And this is what Paul was communicating. This is what Jesus was saying, that he is the only way. There's not other ways around. It's only through him. Man's wisdom will always be, get this, will always be destructive to saving faith. It will always be destructive to saving faith. When we start to rely upon people's thinking about God instead of what God has said, it will be destructive to salvation. Human wisdom will always involve their pride, and human pride will always get in the way of saving faith. Let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about this. Does the gospel that you believe in, does it cost you your pride? Does the gospel that you believe in, does it cost you your pride? 
What, what do I mean by that? Does the gospel that you believe in, does it humble you and leave you in a place of total reliance upon God? Or are you relying upon yourself? Well, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to accomplish this. And if, I am, if I'm good enough, then maybe if the gospel that you believe in thinks that way, then friend, you do not believe the gospel of the Bible. If your gospel is only encouraging to you and only filled with wonderful words of advice and self-helps, then friend, you do not believe the gospel of the Bible. What does the gospel of the Bible do? It confronts us in our sinfulness. It confronts who we really are to our core, that we are wretched individuals that do not deserve the grace of God. But in his love and mercy, he has sent his son. What the gospel of the Bible does, it shows us really who we are, but also how we can be made right with the holy and just God. And it's only through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in which this happens. The Bible's gospel, it pushes out these these thoughts and these feelings like, well, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well... You know, I have never done that. And also pushes out these ideas of, you know, I don't know why that person won't just believe. You know, I, I figured it out. I did it. I changed my life. I got turned around. What does the gospel of the Bible do? It eliminates those thoughts because it humbles you to the place of, I had nothing to do with it. It was not in man's wisdom, my wisdom, but in God's alone. It is solely of Christ. Understand that there will not be a single person, there will not be a single person in heaven that will be prideful. There won't be a single person there that is like, you know what? I did this on my own. There won't be a single person there. Why? Because what does the Bible say? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There won't be a single proud person in heaven that that is going, well, you know what? I got here because I was so smart. I figured this out on my own. Let me give you another question to chew on this morning. Do we treat the cross of Jesus as foolishness? Like Paul is saying, the, the world looks at the crosses. That's foolishness. Do you, Christian, do you view the cross as foolishness? And you're thinking, well, pastor, no. No, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Of course not. Let me help you think through this for a moment. Let me give you some examples of how this happens, of how we treat the cross as foolishness. It's, it's whenever we hold on to a tradition that we might have. We're a Baptist church, right? Do we have traditions? You giggle. Yeah, it's for real. I've been there. Been there my whole life in a Baptist church. Whenever we have a tradition in which we cling to, we hold on to, but then all of a sudden we have been confronted with the Word of God, and our reaction is, I don't know, I really like this tradition. I really like this thing. We cling to that, and we ignore the Word. What have you done? You've treated the cross as foolishness. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. He, he showed us how to live how to love, but also how to obey the word of God. And for us to just ignore it and say, you know what, I'm confronted by that, but 
I really think my ideas are better. I think my tradition is better. We treat the cross as foolishness. Another way that we treat the cross as foolishness is whenever we align ourselves with the culture. We start to think like the culture. We bring things into the church that the culture is doing just so we can be more relevant, right? We can be more palatable to the culture that we get more people in the building. If this is the thinking that we have, then we will ignore and discount the cost of Jesus dying on the cross. Paul stayed close to the message of Jesus and him crucified, and that was all. In Paul's culture that he's dealing with, the culture had very different ideas. And the city of Corinth was such a corrupt place. But he's speaking truth to them of stay close to the word. Stay close to God's wisdom. Don't wander from that. And when Christians or a church start to use their own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God, it's that moment. But they look at the cross and see it as foolishness just like the world does. Let this never be the case about us. Look at verse 3 in chapter 2. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now I asked you, how many of you were nervous? Nobody, I got one response out of that. Paul is saying that he came, not nervously, but he was weak and in fear and much trembling. Now what does he mean by this? What is this weakness that he's talking about? What is this fear that he's talking about? Well, I believe what he's, he's saying is not that I'm physically weak or I'm physically fearful of you. I don't think that's it at all. I think he understood the gravity of the message in which he carried. That's where the fear, that's where the trembling, that's where the weakness was understood. He knew that he was only a man and a wretched one at that. What does Paul say about himself? I'm the chiefest of sinners. He understood that he was not worthy to carry the message of God, but that God had enlisted him and entrusted him with the word. And Paul treated his responsibility to carry the word, this good news of Jesus Christ, with the greatest of care. He guarded it closely. Read the book of Galatians. Man, he gets after that church because they have wandered from the gospel. He understood how precious the message was and that it could not be treated with any kind of contempt or passivity. And there's, there's such a problem in American Christianity today that we've become so passive toward God's word. When we are confronted with it, we just like, eh, whatever. We go on about our life. This should not be the case. I admit to you today that I am just a man. I have many weaknesses, many failures, and Paul understood that as well, that that's what he was. I know you will soon learn about these weaknesses. You will soon learn about all of my failures. Maybe not all of them, but ask my wife. She'll fill you in. And we're weak. Paul understood that he was weak in his spirit, but he didn't let this fear, this weakness, this trembling dominate his thoughts and I'm not going to let it dominate mine because I have nothing to be fearful of even though I am weak because I know to whom I belong and I know to what calling I've been called to it's not my message or my power that's going to change you 
It's going to change the church. It's going to change people outside of the church. It's not me. And if you've had that in your mind, you know, we get this pastor, he's going to change some things. Marty said last week, Todd's going to want to change some things. It's not my power that's going to change anything. I have no ability to change a heart. But who does? God does. It is his wisdom, it is his power that I rely upon. It is his word that brings change. And whatever change it is that, that is needed, that aligns us more with him, that's, that's what, how it works. It's not just through, well, he's going to have some good ideas for us. That pastor, he's going to have some good thoughts, some good philosophies. No, it is only in God's power and his word that we find real change. Understand that Paul, he was not self-reliant. And it is my prayer that I will not be self-reliant and you should not be self-reliant either. And that we collectively and corporately should not be self-reliant saying, you know what, we're doing really good. I don't know if we really need God's word anymore. I don't really know if we need to put that in there. Oh, what a foolish thing to say. We have no power to change anything or anyone It is only God. We are completely reliant upon him. That's how we should think. Let me take you to verse 4 in chapter 2. Paul says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul's not playing any kind of games with the gospel. If you go back to the book of Acts in chapter 18, what you'll find is Paul's first encounter to Corinth and his, his uh, initial uh, interaction with the church there. And in verse 4, it tells us in Acts 18 that he was reasoning with the people there. That he was trying to persuade them with his, with his speech, with his talk. But now we read here in 1 Corinthians that he's saying, I don't want to do that. So what was Paul doing if it says in Acts 18 that he was trying to be persuasive, but here he's saying he's not trying to persuade them. Do we have a contradiction? Is the Bible no good? No. Let me explain. Paul, uh, whenever he came to Corinth, his message was clear and concise about who Jesus was. This was the persuasion he was using. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the truth of what he has done, what he has accomplished But what Paul was not doing, what he is saying here in 1 Corinthians, is I wasn't trying to manipulate you to believe this. I wasn't trying to use these kind of lofty words that would maybe confuse you to a place where at the end of the message you would just raise your hand and say, yes, I believe that, but have no idea what you believe. This was not Paul's tactic. He was not just trying to use the same kind of rhetoric that was being used in this this Roman culture to convince people towards your argument. Paul wanted clarity to the people. He wanted them to understand completely what the truth is. And so when it talks about this in in Acts 18, he's trying to be as clear as possible because they must have the clear gospel message for them to have salvation. He's not trying to just confuse them to a place where they're so tangled up in his words, they go, yes, but they have no idea what he's saying. This is my... Hope as well is that we would not get caught up in the cleverness of people, in the cleverness of your pastor or of your teachers, but again, you would stay to the clarity of the word, the wisdom of God. As Paul says in this verse, he says, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
Paul was not trying to put on any kind of amazing theatrical display, um, you know, passion plays or other things that maybe you know, people do today. He's not trying to display anything like that. He was not trying to use any kind of great manipulative tactics or, or psychology to manipulate people in any way. No, he was preaching what he knew. He was trusting in the saving power of the Holy Spirit. And the strategy of Paul was employing what only he knew and nothing more, nothing less. He used that as the foundation of what he had experienced himself to change his rock-hard heart. And how did that happen? It was only by the work of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of Christ to him. This real gospel message, and this is what we should want to plant into the minds and the hearts of people, not trying to manipulate them to believe something that they, in you know, six months they won't. Because if I can convince you to believe something, somebody else can convince you out of it. It must be the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God must be convincing to you, not humans. It's God's Word, God's wisdom that are really the only things that you see that Paul was trusting in to see change and see this happen in in these people's lives and what I'm trusting to happen in your life. I don't want us to trust in human logic, in reasoning, in self-discovery, Those are not strategies that will ever produce real saving faith. None of those will. Look at verse 5, our last verse here in chapter 2. Paul says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul reminds them here that their conversion, their faith, was not because of the power of the messenger. It wasn't that because Paul was so brilliant, which he was. It was not because of that. It was because of the message. The message has the power, not the messenger. The same is true about me. I think I'm pretty mediocre, really. I don't even know if I'm even that. And Paul has this self-awareness of, I'm really nothing, but I know the message. I know the word. I know the power. It's not in me. It's in the word of God. And as he says, that it doesn't rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He trusted the wisdom of God, not his own wisdom. Not the wisdom of the, of the guys in Jerusalem, because you know how that went down with Peter, right? There's kind of a little confrontation that happened there, because Peter wasn't really being very wise, Because he was using his own wisdom and not the wisdom of God's word. And Paul confronts him on that. Paul is reminding these people that their conversion was not because of their intellectual abilities. But only because of the grace of God to them. Please do not believe that you are saved because you figured out the Jesus puzzle. Because you put all the pieces together and you're so brilliant and you got this thing figured out. And you just like, why can't these other people figure it out? Why can't they just get right with God? I did. Let me tell you, if that's your thought, friend, you really do not understand the gospel very well. Because if it were not for the power of God, you would still try to be putting the puzzle together, but with the edge pieces facing inward. 
It's only because of his wisdom in which has revealed to you the truth of who you are and of who he is. That has changed you. Nothing else. Let me take you again backwards to chapter 1, verse 31. The last verse that's used there in verse 31. And what does Paul say? So that as it is written, let no one who boasts, I'm sorry, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Where should our wisdom be found? Only in God. It's only in Him. It's only what He has accomplished. It's not in me. It's not in my reasoning. It's only in Jesus Christ. It's His brilliance, not mine. It's His power, not mine. It's only through Him that He can give life to dead people. Boast only in the Lord. I want us to conclude this morning by again going backwards. And maybe you're like, what's wrong with this guy? Back in chapter 1, we already read verses 26 through 29. I want to remind you of those, but also I want to fill in a gap there that we have. Verse 30 as well. Look back with me. Verse 26 in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, look at this word, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. The world has a standard. They have a standard of success. And Paul points it out here in verse 26. There's these three things that they use as a standard. Wisdom is one of them. Education, certification. Well, are you qualified? Do you have these things? Ah, you don't, so you're disqualified. They use that as a standard of success. The second is power. How persuasive are you? How powerful are you? What size is your army? The third is nobility. Well, where do you come from? Who are you connected to? But what does God choose to use? The exact opposite of those things, right? You see, three times it says God chose, God chose, God chose what? The opposite of what the world thinks is going to work. God chose the opposite to bring about salvation for us. It is not through your abilities and what you can do, but only through the death of his son. Look at verse 30 again. It says, and because of him, because of him, notice that it didn't say you, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. God does not need your assistance. Did you know that? Is that a revelation to you this morning? He does not need your assistance. But we sure need his, don't we? Oh, we need his, don't we? My prayer is that we would only preach the cross of Christ and not add to or take away from anything. My prayer is that we would only use the wisdom of God and not try to help God out by making things more palatable and more comfortable, we soften the message of the cross 
that, oh, we are wretched sinners in need of a great Savior. Let us never soften that message and change the great news of Jesus to just some okay news about Jesus. The worship band's going to come up at this moment. And my friend, I just want to put in front of you today that maybe if you have questions about your faith, about salvation, about baptism, about church membership, we invite you at this time to come and engage us in those talks. We have uh, staff and elders that will be down here to, uh, to talk with you. Maybe you feel uncomfortable in that. Just know as well that we will be around. So these people that you will see here in front, find us later. We would love to talk to you about those things and engage you in those conversations. Today is a day to make a choice. Am I going to focus my life and let my trajectory of my life be focused on man's wisdom or upon God's? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, you have clearly shown us that all of our efforts apart from the saving work of Christ are all in vain. God, I pray that if there's anybody here that has maybe for the first time because of your grace had that revelation, that God, they would not harden their hearts toward the message they would accept the goodness of Christ and would turn from their sin and trust in you and in you alone. We thank you that you're a gracious, good God and that you've allowed us to be here today to hear your word with your people. In Jesus' name I pray.